You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark and Jace. This is episode number 74. If you're new to the show or whether you've been listening for a while, we appreciate you tuning into the podcast. On this podcast, we share the stories and strategies of everyday millionaires. Our hope is to bring these stories to you and help all of us learn about how these millionaires have achieved success. This is the last week to enter the giveaway for this month. The giveaway includes a copy of Sarah Falah's book, The Millionaire Next Door, and a $50 Visa gift card. To enter the giveaway, we're asking you to do two things. Join our email list at millionairesunveiled.com and subscribe to our show and leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Special thanks to Equity Multiple for supporting the show. One of the tried and true paths to becoming and staying a millionaire is establishing passive income streams. Perhaps the most tried and true passive income channel for savvy investors is commercial real estate. Equity Multiple connects accredited investors with pre-vetted exclusive commercial real estate investments with investment minimums as low as $10,000. With Equity Multiple, you can allocate a meaningful portion of your portfolio to professionally manage commercial real estate and create a stronger, more diversified portfolio. Head to equitymultiple.com forward slash millionaires to learn more. Again, that's equitymultiple.com forward slash millionaires. Tell them Clark and Jay sent you. If you'd like to invest in our multifamily opportunities, please reach out to us at millionairesunveiled at gmail.com and we'll jump on a call with you to discuss the opportunities and strategy. We have opportunities available now for both accredited and non-accredited investors in different locations throughout the country. On last week's episode, we had our special interview with Robert Kiyosaki, the famous author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. We had a brief discussion with him about investing, personal finance, asset allocation, and real and real estate. If you'd like to be on our show, send us an email at millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. We'd love to unveil your story and allocation and teach others about your investing mindset. Next week, we're going to have another interview with another millionaire. This week, we have Allison. Allison and her husband have a net worth of $1.7 million. About $1 million of that is invested in the equity markets, and about 700000 is in real estate and various rental properties and a primary residence. Rental properties are across four different states. Half of them are paid off and half of them are not. And she generates over $4,000 a month in cash flow from those. So without further ado, let's get into this interview with Allison. Allison, do you want to just give us a little about your background and what you're doing now? Sure. I am 41 years old. I'm married to a 42-year-old man who is in the Air Force. Um, I am a nurse. And we've been really slowly and surely building up our money ever since we got married about 15 years ago. We started off with just a single family home in our uh, college town, University of Florida. And then my husband joined the military. And so we started moving around and just putting money into 401k in the thrift saving plan, which is the military version, and not really thinking about it much. Um, we rode through the 2009 crash without even really realizing what was happening, really. Um, and then in 2012, we decided to start taking finances a little bit more seriously. And we decided to buy some more properties back in our college town. Um, and I started to really look into personal finance and reading everything I could about personal finance and just how to grow our money. 
And so we just uh, kind of slowly bought additional properties over the years. So we have eight rental properties now and just putting in our max 401k every single year and Roth IRAs every single year. And now we have a value of 1.7 million, uh, pretty much exactly 50-50, about a million in investments and equity in the properties is at 700,000 with um, half of the properties paid off and the other half were um, actively working on paying off. Good, good stuff. So for those uh, money in the market that you have, how much of that is is uh, in your 401k and how much is that in, in other investments or is it all 401k? So our Roth IRA is only about 133000 Our traditional IRA, which is all of our 401k investments and things like that, is the bulk. It's about 750000 And then um, brokerage is about 75000 and cash, 50000 And then it's broken into about 90% stock, uh, 10% bond, uh, pretty generically put it in that it's, it's basically a u.s international mixture for the stock and then just some basic bond funds good stuff and have you always kind of maintained that allocation between the 90 and the 10 with the bonds and and with those same funds yeah i've always been you know pretty standardly you know invested about 80 to 90 percent in stocks because i know i just have a really long time horizon and with the military and knowing that we're going for the full 20-year pension, I figured I don't even know when I'm going to need to touch this money. So I knew I could be pretty aggressive with that. Yeah. And, you know, the value of that pension has got to be, what, seven figures in and of itself that you really don't even count as part of your net worth? Yeah, I'm not even counting that. And it's huge. I mean, I, I really can't underestimate how much value and, and just security that brings to our mind, knowing that my husband's that he just actually got promoted to Lieutenant Colonel like two days ago. Oh, um, awesome. So yeah, so that's a pretty big move. That'll probably be his last promotion. Um, he's almost at 15 years. So he's got five more years to go. And then we have guaranteed inflation adjusted income for the rest of our lives, which is amazing. That's awesome. And and have you always kind of maxed out those other retirement accounts all along the way? Yeah. Since my first job in college, like I worked at Regal Movie Theater and they just pulled me aside one day and said, you work enough to qualify for the 401k. And I was like, I didn't even know what that was. And I was like, okay. So I started putting money into it and reading a little bit about what it was so that I understood at least what I was doing. But yeah, since my very first job in college, I've always put out you know, the max that I could and always made sure I got the company match. That's only the one bad thing about militaries. They don't offer any match, but uh, more makes up for it with the pension. So that's pretty amazing that you started at such a young age, I think, especially in, you know, before you really have your first full-time job. So how did you learn? You said you read a couple of books. Were your parents savers? Did you have friends that were saving and investing? How did you learn to, and where did you know how to get started? My parents never really taught me anything about money. In fact, some of the only like money related memories I have was in high school, me and my sister were both in the marching van and we'd go on like trips to other states to do like the Thanksgiving Day Parade or some other random thing. And they would always cost like several hundred dollars. And I remember my sister was two years ahead of me and them saying, you know, she's got great grades. She's going to graduate, but we can't give her her diploma till you guys pay the money you owe us from these trips that my parents weren't able to afford paying. And so I remember thinking, oh, man, this is like a burden on my parents just to be involved in after school activities. And so my junior and senior in high school, I had a job and I was determined to make my own money just so that I wouldn't have to put that burden on them. 
So I've always wanted to make money. I've always loved personal finance and money, but it was more just like, I'm really good at saving or crushing a debt. I've never really understood the investing part until that first job told me I had a 401k option. And then I started looking into into that part. So did your parents encourage you to go out and get a job or you kind of sought the need and went out and did it yourself? Uh, it was definitely I sought it out because I wanted to have more independence and have more money to be able to, you know, spend things on what I wanted to. And are your siblings the same way? Oh, no. My sister is horrible with money. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't think we're either one of us were taught. I mean, she, I think, is more of a typical American. Her and her husband have a a big house. She she got a Ph.D. and she still has like hundred thousand dollars worth of student loan debt that is the same as their mortgage payment. I mean, they have a nice life and they have good money, but they uh, have a lot of debt as well. Whereas me and my husband, the only debt we have are four of our rental properties and nothing else. So before you guys got married, was your husband the same way? Was he into finance and investing as well? Um, no, he, he definitely defers the finances to me. Um, he, he had a car payment and some student loan debt, but I mean, we graduated college in like 99 and college debt wasn't near what it is today. Um, so it wasn't out of control. It was, um, you know, maybe 10 or 20,000, but I'm, I'm really good at either saving money or paying off a debt. So once we got married, like I had his car paid off and his student loan paid off within a year or two, cause I just don't like looking at debt. So let's dive into that story a little bit. You, you got married, you had a little bit of debt and, and you guys were both working at the time. Yeah, um, he had just um, gotten his master's degree. I, I'm a nurse and I had already graduated and I was working at the hospital at the University of Florida and he was um, getting his master's degree and then uh, graduated and working at the university after that. And then um, he enlisted a little bit after 9-11. He enlisted in the Air Force. Um, he's an engineer. Um, so he joined the Air Force as an officer and so we had steady income coming in. And so um, and we didn't really have any expenses because it was just us in a in a cheap college town. Because that's the joy of living in a college town. It's like everything is really, really cheap. So we didn't really have much to spend it on. So we were able to tackle the debt. Awesome. And then when did you buy your first rental property? How many years after you got married? I actually bought it before we were married. I bought it myself. And then we got engaged while we were living there. And then when he joined the Air Force, um, they said we were going to move. And I was like, oh, well, we've only lived here about a year. And I don't want to sell this house because it's a nice house. It's like less than a mile from campus and just seemed like a perfect location. And so I just talked to um, a couple, you know, common tenant landlords in town and asked them how much could they rent it for and all that. And um, it was several hundred dollars more than my mortgage payment. So I said, okay, that sounds like a good idea. So we put it up for rent and it, it's been renting ever since 2004, pretty much nonstop. It's been great. I've maybe had like a month or two turnover and I've usually the tenants live there for several years. So that's been one of my best properties. Wow. And is it rented to students or just someone who's living locally there? It's generally been rented to either professionals that live in the area or like grad student families. Cause mm-hmm. I don't know why I don't tend to attract students as much as I attract kind of older students or people that want a house and maybe want a pet or want their family to live there kind of thing. Gotcha. And and just kind of dive into those details. How much was the house when you purchased it and, and how much does it cash flow a month? Oh, that's the joy of University of Florida. It's really cheap. Uh, I bought the house for 87000 It's a three bedroom, two bath. Um, it currently rents for $1,050. And 
I don't know what the mortgage would be now because it's been paid off since 2006, but it, it cash flows quite a bit. Uh, so that house cash flows $808 with taxes, insurance, and property management taken out. Wow. And how much do they charge for property management? 10%. And and were you worried when you were leaving Florida or that area to, to have someone manage it? Did you think about buying something closer so that you could manage it or, or you weren't really worried about that? No, I've never had the desire to manage any of the houses myself. I I thoroughly enjoy someone else handling that. Occasionally, I'll, um, my parents live a few hours away, and occasionally they'll go into the University of Florida for um, like an event or something, and they'll always drive by my properties and just give me a little update on how they look from the outside. But I've always felt comfortable with it. So when's the last time you saw that house? Um, probably about four years ago. So that's pretty crazy, right? You haven't seen it in four years. It cash flows over 800 bucks a month and, <laughs> and you don't even worry about it. It's paid off. Yeah. I, every few months they might email me or call me that something needs to be done. But generally I just see work invoices come through the internet and, you know, rental checks come in and I, I really don't think about it unless there's a turnover in between tenants or something major is happening that they need to call me about. Wow. And so you bought it for about 87000 How much do you think it's worth now? Well, according to Zillow, it's worth one hundred and thirty thousand. Nice. Um, when I calculated my net worth, what I do is I I have the little Zillow's estimate, and then I subtract ten percent from that to get what I think it might actually be worth, minus you know sales commissions stuff like that. And that's how I came up with my equity being about seven hundred thousand right now. Gotcha. So just to review here, you have eight rental properties scattered across four different states. Four are mm-hmm. paid off. Four have current mortgages. Um, are, are the ones that are in the same states, are, those, are they close to each other? Does the same management company manage those or, or is it different all around? Yeah, um, I have three in Florida. They're all within a block of each other and they're wow. all managed by the same person. And then I have three in Tennessee and they're also within just a few streets of each other. And then I have one in Alabama and I have one in Texas. And so those are kind of outliers. But um, so each each group has a property management company and they're all excellent. They all communicate really well with me. I haven't had really any major issues. And just curious on, on any of the fees they charge, you said 10%. So do they charge if there's a vacancy, if they need to find a new tenant? Do they, they obviously charge for necessary repairs or are there any other fees associated besides just the 10%? It kind of varies. Some charge eight, some charge 10%. Um, and then some charge a if there's a new tenant they might charge um, like half of that first month's rent as a um, like a finder's fee for getting the new tenant screened and, and processed and stuff like that. But outside of the first month's rent um, and the basic monthly expense, they don't charge anything extra. Gotcha. So maybe dive in. Let's just go big picture here before we dive into these these other seven rentals. Maybe tell us you know the location of each and. And how much you bought them for and then how much they're cash flowing now. Sure. Um, so we talked about the first one in Gainesville and it was it was worth, we bought it for 87. Um, the next one I bought just one street over is I bought it for 80,000. Uh, currently it's valued at 112 and it, it cash flows $550 a month. Next one in Florida was a little more expensive. Uh, it's a bigger house. It's a three bedroom, three bath. And I bought that for 110. It has a mortgage on it still, so it only cash flows $310, but um, that's the one I'm currently paying off. And so once that's paid off, it'll cash flow $690. And then the next one, the next couple were in Tennessee. Uh, the first one I bought for $92,000. That one is paid off and it cash flows $611. 
And then the next one is also in Memphis, Tennessee. Bought it for um, $75,000. It's also paid off and it gets $640 of cash flow. And then the next one is in Tennessee. That was a much bigger house. Bought it for $130,000. It still has a um, mortgage on it and it cash flows $378,000. And then one in Texas I bought for $125,000. And it has a mortgage on it. It cash flows $325,000. And then the last one was in Alabama. I bought it for ninety-eight thousand, and it has a mortgage and it cash flows three hundred and sixty. And all those cash flows are minus taxes, insurance, and property management. So three hundred is my goal because I know that there's going to be repairs and fixes and stuff. So I always want to keep it at least one hundred if there was problems. Yeah, that's awesome. So what what's kind of been your criteria when you've been trying to find these rental properties? Um, I always like at least. A two-bedroom, preferably a three-bedroom and two-bathroom. I've always liked it to be just a basic cookie-cutter house um, close to something, close to a university, close to um, a lot of businesses like the ones in Memphis are just on the – there's like a beltway that goes around. It's just on the outer side of the beltway. So anyone that works inside Memphis can get in there quickly. I like to have a a cheaper price point but not – super dirt cheap. There's some people that buy really, really cheap houses. And I just found like that's a little bit too risky for me. I feel like these houses that are in like the 100s to 120,000 range is just good enough where the tenants are going to want to stay for a few years. They're probably just have like a regular job where they just want a nice stable house and it's not going to be too expensive for them so that making their rent payments won't be hard. And then I just look for really basic stuff, like away from anything bad, like away from power lines, away from uh, water treatment plants, away from air, like where the airplanes are going to fly over, anything like that, that would make it like a hard resell if I want to sell these things in the future. Do you have a uh, certain criteria for the type of resident that you're going to have, whether it be credit score or a certain amount of income relative to the rent that you're going to charge? Well, all of those are managed by property managers and they all have pretty cl- uh, pretty clear expectations on their part as to what kind of tenant they're going to accept and what kind of credit score they're going to accept and how much uh, rent to income ratios they look for. So I just trust the property management company is going to put a solid person in place because it's in their best interest to get a solid person that's going to pay every month and not cause a lot of trouble. So I'm, I'm just kind of leveraging that fact that they want to make it easy. And so they're going to pick a good tenant over someone that might be a little bit on the border. They're going to try to pick a better tenant. So it it appears that you've kind of followed the snowball route with, with these rental properties. Can you talk a little bit about how your mindset has been to, to acquire them and then pay them off and what you've kind of done, what how you choose to allocate the cash flow to, to the mortgages of some of these other properties? Yeah, I definitely did because I thought I would just buy one every few years because um, once I decided to start buying a house in 2012, I decided to get one. And I'm like, all right, well, it's going to take me a few years to save up the down payment and then I'll get another one. And then I, I discovered once I got one, it just became easier to get the next and the next one, partially because I became focused on a goal of purchasing a new house. So I kind of cut out the spending that I might do on other things and put everything towards saving for that next down payment. And then getting the rents in from the ones we had just make it easier to get the next one and you start finding people to work with and just the opportunities kind of arise. Have you used an agent to find any of these properties in the locations that they are? Have you lived in in all of these locations that you've bought properties in? 
Um, the Florida ones, I just did all by myself. Um, my dad did help a little bit. Um, he would just go around with me and like the third house I bought in Florida, my mom just saw when she was on a walk one day and saw that it was for sale by owner and it, she thought it looked cute. And so I bought that house in Florida and, um, that was the last house I bought there and it was in 2012 and I've had the same tenant the entire time since 2012. It's been great. So those three, I just happened to find because they were within a block of my first house. And I just knew that area really well. And so that was easy. All the other ones that I've used in uh, Tennessee, Texas, and Alabama, I have not lived in any of those places. I bought them all through um, turnkey real estate companies. Oh, really? I did. I did travel to Tennessee to meet the company. I bought them through Memphis Invest, which is a pretty um, well-known company on bigger pockets and other forums like that. So I met the, I went there and I met them and I liked their business model and I liked the properties that they were picking. So I bought them all through them. Um, the Texas one is through them as well. And then the Alabama house is from someone that left Memphis Invest to start their own business in Alabama. And I bought a house from them. Oh, awesome. So your experience with it with a turnkey provider has been pretty good then. Yeah, I've had excellent outcomes. Um, the only... I only had one bad situation, but it didn't even turn bad. I was going to buy a house in Texas with them and the appraisal came back lower than they're asking me to purchase it. And then the uh, inspection came back with a lot of issues. And so I told them I wasn't going to buy the house because it had all these issues. And they were like, okay, no problem. You're out of this contract and let's find you another house. And then I found another one that worked better and appraised better and didn't have any issues with the inspection. And so the one time I might have had an issue, they did not even push back at all with me pulling out of the contract. They were, you know, fine to move on. Just for our listeners, do you mind just kind of giving a, a brief synopsis of what it what it's like and what an actual turnkey provider does when you're trying to be the investor on the other side of the equation? Sure. Um, so with Mensive Invest, so say I would tell them, hey, I'm ready to buy another house. They would basically say, okay, uh, what what kind of price range are you looking for? Which city do you want to do? And what, what are your criteria? So I might say, okay, I have $40,000 to put down. I'm going to finance it. I would like it to be in, in this city around this price range. And this is the rent ratio I'm looking for because I need to make X amount of dollars a month. So um, you give them the criteria. And then pretty much how it works with them is that, you know, a few days later, they'll send me an email saying, okay, these two houses are available. Tell me what you think. And then I might respond back to them. I don't really like this house because of X, Y, and Z, or I don't like this because of whatever reason, like maybe it's not close to a school or the school's district is bad, or it's too close to major highway and I don't want the noise traffic or something like that. And they'll respond, okay, we know what you like better. And so they'll send me some more. And pretty much just every few days, I would get an email from them saying, you know, are you interested in this house until I find one where I like, yep, this checks all the box that I have for me. Um, it looks good. I, I just look at houses on Google Street View. I, you know, I don't do any crazy research. They send, um, once you say you like a house, they'll send over some paperwork and you're just kind of claiming it. You'll put like a earnest money deposit down of maybe a thousand bucks or something, just kind of hold the property. And then they'll send you more detailed photos. Um, they'll send you a list of all the, the punch items that they plan on doing for the rehab, because at least with this company, is they tend to buy houses that are kind of beat up or like um, maybe through a foreclosure or something like that. And they'll do a full rehab where they'll, you know, put new roof on, put new AC in, paint everything, rehab all the walls and doors and the kitchens and not crazy rehabs or anything, just real basic rehab, but it gets it looking from trash to a nice normal house. And all of the rehab that they do is included in your purchase price. So you're not buying a house 
and then they're going to rehab and you're waiting months for a tenant to come in and you don't know if the rehab is going to discover, you know, things that you weren't aware of. All that rehab is done before you buy the house. And so there's a safety factor in that and you're not wasting your money waiting for a tenant. Like when you buy the house, the rehab's done and they have a tenant in place. And so you're starting to make money from the first day. And typically, are you putting 20% down uh, on these properties? And are you kind of working with the same bank for all of them across all the different states? Or do you kind of have find your own bank in each individual location? The Florida ones, I'm pretty confident I only put 20% down. Um, the very first house, which was my personal house first, I think I put like 3% down or something. It was probably one of those first house purchase kind of things. All the other ones after the Florida house, the Tennessee, the Texas, Alabama, I put 25% down on those. And I... I used two different mortgage companies between those houses, um, but they were basically the same. Um, there was no real difference in the, the mortgage company. All the rates were pretty competitive. Yeah, my rates on all of them are averaging 4.5 to 4.75, so all really low rates. So have you kind of decided, have you and your husband decided that this is your strategy or, or are you going to keep investing in the markets? Are you going to reallocate? Are you going to go 100% in real estate? No, our strategy, I think we have... Um, a three-legged approach here. So uh, our one leg is our investments in the stock market. We have over a million dollars there, different IRAs and brokerage accounts and things like that. And then the other leg is my husband achieving the 20-year military pension and getting that monthly income. And then the third leg is having these rental properties paid off and getting that monthly income. Because between my husband's pension and all the properties, once they're paid off, we're going to have about $10,000 a month in income before taxes. And so I don't know when we would ever need to touch our investments. So it's just there as a nice safety cushion should something bad happen. But that's our plan. Yeah, I was going to say, because you're at you're at a little bit over $4,000 a month here on these rentals. That's that's over $50,000 a year. If, if yeah. I mean, how much do you guys spend a year? <laughs> Not anywhere near that. <laughs> um we only spend about 4000 a month. So, I mean, this is like way above and beyond that we're ever going to need. <laughs> so, do you ever think, hey, we could just buy a couple more rentals? You know, my husband, he'll, he'll hit the 20 years, he'll get the pension, and, and, and we could be done. We could retire early. Yeah, that's why we've kind of sw- we've switched in the last year from acquiring more rentals to actively trying to pay off the rentals because we want to enter the pension with zero debts whatsoever. Um, so have all the mortgages paid off, have the pension, and then we're actually planning on buying a catamaran sailboat and sailing all around the East Coast. And then once we feel comfortable sailing around the world. Um, so that's kind of what we have a long-term vision of doing. So we'll see how that works out. And that's you're planning on doing that in how many years? In five years. Oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> so you guys are done in five. Yeah, we're done. We don't plan on working again. Um, well, certainly my husband doesn't. I, I actually really like what I'm doing as a nurse, but I also want to take a break and travel around and just enjoy life at a much more leisurely pace than we're doing right now. Do you guys own your primary residence or? No, uh, that's actually a weird story. We, uh, currently rent in an apartment right now. Um, a couple of years ago, we did own a house in Virginia, um, where we live, but we decided to sell it um, because it, it was like ridiculous. Like the first three assignments he had in the military, we lived on base. And so we never really had to buy a house or anything when we were actively in the military until we got transferred here to Virginia. 
And there was no base because um, he's just assigned to the Pentagon. And so there's no base. And so we thought, oh, the military gives you a housing allowance. And the, the housing alliance for Northern Virginia is just insane because it's super duper expensive to live here. And so we we're looking at what that mortgage payment equaled in terms of the housing allowance. And it equaled basically a half a million dollar house, which was a giant, like, five bedroom, five bathroom, make mansion thing. And it's just me and my husband and our little boy who at that time was like four years old. So we bought this giant house. And then a few years in, we're like, why are we living in this giant house, maintaining this yard that we don't really care about, cleaning all these rooms every week that we're not even using? So I put the house on Zillow. You can put like, make me move, which is not that you're listing it for sale, but you have it up. And if someone wanted to buy it, you would sell it. And hmm. so I, I put it on make me move. And like this real estate agent just randomly knocked on our door one day and said, hey, um, we have a client that really wants to move into this neighborhood. Would you sell your house? And I'm like, sure. <laughs> and so we never had to list it. We never had to like worry about showing it or anything like that. Um, they came and saw the house and they put an offer on it and we sold it and we moved. And so it got us out of the house and got us into the apartment and it, it worked out well because then my husband was gone for like 10 months. And so it was just me and my son in a little two bedroom one bath apartment. <laughs> oh, wow. It was a complete change from where we were, but I'm honestly so much happier here because I don't have to worry about maintaining anything. It's like every single inch of this apartment is usable. We have a nice clubhouse with like great amenities. And so actually much happier. And, and you got the price you wanted for the house, obviously, or you wouldn't have sold. Yeah. I mean, we listed it above what we bought it at and w with no commissions, we made a good amount of money on it. So it worked out really well. So you got to admit here, it's a little crazy, right? You guys are worth 1.7. Yeah. You have eight single family <laughs> rentals, but you live in an apartment. Yeah. In a small apartment too. <laughs> it is definitely weird. I think we just had a mindset change a few years ago that we wanted to just focus on what was really important. And we really discovered that like our house and like maintaining appearances wasn't that important. And what was more important was just like spending time with each other and um, working towards our goal of, you know, getting on a boat on the water at some point once the military is over. Wow. Good for you guys. So just last question here, and then we'll dive into some rapid fire questions. Do you think about taxes? Uh, this is a, a listener question that somebody wrote into us. Do you think about taxes in your strategy and in your investing strategies and, and in your goals? No, I definitely think that's a blind spot for me because I don't know. I, f I feel like every few years I try to tackle something in personal finance and, and know a lot more about it. But taxes still seem like this big, giant kind of nebulous. So obviously, we're both W-2 employees. So we, we pay a fair share of taxes on our income there. And our rental properties, they're passively managed. They're not actively. So we can't deduct like all all losses. They're just rolling over to the eventual point where our income is low enough that we could claim all passive losses. So there's definitely ways that I could be doing our taxes smarter, but I don't know. Right now, I feel like we have so much that I honestly don't mind paying taxes, which sounds a little ridiculous, but it just doesn't bother me that much. I'm I'm paying my share and I, I haven't really tried to work on maximizing um, all tax deferrals that I maybe could. Sure. Do you remember what age you guys were when you hit your first million? Yes. I, my goal was to hit it by age 40. And I hit it um, basically a few months before my 40th birthday. And I just turned 42 next month. And between age 40 and 42, it went from a million eighteen thousand to a million seven hundred twenty-three. 
The last wow. two years has been insane. It wow. it grows so much quicker. Like everyone says, like getting that first million is tough, and then it gets easier. And I can like quantifiably see it because I track my net worth every year of my birthday. And like the first year I checked, I was 33 years old and I had 288,000 and it slowly crept up till eventually I hit a million at 40. And now it's at a million seven. It's weird. Awesome. Well, congrats on hitting your goal. Thank you. So let's go through these uh, rapid fire questions here. So most expensive pair of jeans or pants you ever purchased? Oh man, I have no fashion. Um, probably $40 pair of Levi's. Okay. Most expensive shoes? Mm, probably about a $120 running shoes. Okay, most expensive car. Okay, I've only owned two cars my entire life, and they're both Honda Civics. So I'm going to say uh, 2001 when I bought my current car for $16,000. So 2001, so you've had it for 17 years. How many miles on it? Only about 130000 okay. Yeah. Most expensive meal out that you've paid for? Ooh, that I have paid for. Um, maybe me and my husband and maybe 100 bucks. I'm cheap. Okay. <laughs> uh, what items or experiences are worth spending more money on to you? I think anything I can do as a family, like travel, me and my husband and my son and our best friends, we went on a sailboat trip last uh, summer for a week on a sailboat, and that was amazing. The year before that, we went out to like Los Angeles, San Francisco, California area for a year. Every year, we rotate who gets to pick a vacation, and so that's what I don't mind at all spending money on. Okay, and what's not worth spending the money on? Cars. <laughs> you got. You seem like you seem pretty frugal. Is there? Do you do you feel like there's anything that you splurged on? If you looked in our house, you would see more computers than you see anything else. Um, <laughs> so my son, my husband, and myself all have nice computer systems. Um, I think we like cheap habits. Like we like playing video games, and that's pretty cheap. Um, we like playing softball and things like that in the community, which are basically free, and it just gets you outside and playing. So, yeah, we don't really spend a lot of money on things that cost a lot. Sure. Okay, high school and college GPA, if you can remember. Oh, in high school, they had waited for, like, honors classes and stuff like that, so it was, like, 4.5 or something in high school. And in college... um it was definitely high because uh, I graduated with honors. I think it was maybe like three nine. Okay. And we talked a little bit about how your the goal was to retire and be done in about five years. But what do you think yeah. your, your predicted net worth will be at retirement? Um, I'd say maybe $3 million at retirement, not including the pension or anything like that. And then since I don't think we're going to have to touch our investments, I think that's just going to grow and grow over the years. Sure. And then what's been your range of income through your working life? Um, I'd say anywhere from 40000 a year to where it is now, just a little bit over 100000 for me. Do your friends or family know of your success and your net worth? Yeah, just in the last year or two, I've definitely been more open talking with my parents and my uh, sister about it. And at work, I talk about personal finance with anyone that is any, anywhere remotely interested, like especially the rental properties tends to get people talking. There's a few folks at work that have started to buy rental properties. And anytime people talk about credit card debt or finances or how should I do my 401k, um, they tend to start coming to me to ask for advice on those things because they know I'm interested in it. And so I'm definitely not shy about talking with, with people. What are, what are some of the mistakes that you've made? you know, over your career and your investing career? I think probably right before I bought the second house, 
So 2012, I bought the second house. In the few years prior to that, I when I started to get interested in more investing in the market thing, I thought I could be a stock market investor and do stocks and things like that. And that just proved to be wildly incorrect. <laughs> um, I wasn't good at stock picking. I was basically just copying what people on investment sites and stuff said to do. And that tends to be you're late to the game. And so I... And I don't have the time to research all the things that I feel like you could be successful if you had the time or the temperament. And so I think I discovered that just buying index funds and not looking at it is my path to success. Yeah. For somebody who's just starting out or just kind of wanting to get you know their foot in the door, whether it's a rental property or investing in the markets and securities, what kind of advice would you give them? I would say first, just look really hard at what you're spending every month if if you don't even know what you're spending on, then the money's just flying out the door. I would say be conscious of your housing price, your car price, and just what you're spending on things. Because once you get a handle on what your expenses are, you can really start saving towards that goal, be it buying a rental property or putting money into a 401k. Because you just have to be slow and methodical about it, and you will become a millionaire. It's just It's not rocket science. It just requires patience and you know dedication to it. Is there any particular steps or things that you've done to teach your son about money and about investing? Yeah, I talk with him all the time. Like we're in the store and he'll grab a box of cereal and I'll be like, well, why do you want that cereal versus this cereal? Look at the price. How much do they cost? And so I'll I'll try to find opportunities like that. Um, he's been getting an allowance for the last few years. He gets $5 a week and we have three boxes. He has a give box, a save box and a spend box. And he has to allocate it between the three. And then at the end of the year, he'll give his money to whatever charity he wants to give. And the spend box he can use all the time. He'll he'll cash it in for Fortnite virtual money or to buy a stuffed animal or something at the store. And he's actually, you know, picked out something at, at Target and he got to the register and he'd be like, you know what? I don't want to spend my $10 on this thing. And he'll actually put it away. So I think... He's definitely listening that there is value to money and that you have to spend it wisely. And occasionally I'll read him books like uh, we've read The Richest Man in Babylon and we've read other financial related books that kids can understand just so that he gets a basic idea of you have to save first. You have to pay yourself first. I, I mean, I have my money spreadsheets open all the time with like monthly bills. So I try to explain to him, you know, that electricity costs money, the cars cost money and everything costs money because he still kind of hard for him. He's in fourth grade now. So he definitely understands um, a lot of the concepts, but I, I try to work it into everyday conversation whenever I can. Awesome. Allison with a net worth of $1.7 million. Thanks for coming on the show today. Oh, you're welcome, guys. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Allison. All right. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled Podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.